Uh, this is David Keaton, author of ZB&B, editor of Flywheel Magazine. And you're listening to Booked. And the 12th caller will win two tickets to the Monster Truck Extravaganza being held tonight at the Carson Fairgrounds. Featuring Big Daddy Bodine's truck, The Behemoth. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This evening's episode is what we call an interlude episode. For those of you who are uh, newer to the show or haven't heard one before, an interlude episode is where we take a break from reviewing a book or interviewing an author and just kind of talk about uh, other things in the literary community, in some cases the not-so-literary community, as you'll see later on in this episode. That's right. Um, Livius was nice enough not to mention it, but um, I've been begging for an interlude episode. Uh, anybody who's coming new to the show, uh, we, in the last, um, I'd say, four weeks or so, have posted um, about 15 episodes more than we usually do. And I'm usually the person that's doing not all, but you know, most of the back-end stuff. So um, the work was piling up, and I was like, let's just take a break. So... Um, that and we just had a bunch of stuff that we kept meaning to mention on shows that didn't really have the time to do it so uh that's why we find ourselves in this place one of the things that we've been uh, meaning to mention here on the show and talk about at least a little bit uh, we did mention during one of our episodes that we were going to take yet another booked road trip up to milwaukee wisconsin this time just a little short trip to meet uh christopher moore yep that was a little thing that just happened to blip onto my radar um i knew that he had released sacred blue and i knew he was doing a tour um and I randomly went to the tour page one day and I noticed that like a week, you know, a week after when I looked that he was going to be up there. So, uh, we made the trek. It was the first time I'd actually gone to an event that was specifically an author signing. Um, so I didn't really know what I was in for. How about you Liv? Um, yeah, I, I had authors sign things before. This is the first time it was, uh, I met Clyde Barker years and years ago, but it was at a opening night of a of a play, a performance of a play he'd written and stuff. So um, this is a little different, a little more organized, a little less odd people than at the Clyde Barker signing, um, but very cool all the same. Yeah, so essentially the format of the night was uh, the thing kicked off around 7 um, at Boswell's Books in Milwaukee. I wanted to make sure I, I give them a shout out because um it's a really cool place they do like a mix of used and new books and uh they don't have their own cafe but they have this like door that leads to the starbucks that's next door so it's a very comfortable setting um so they had how much cool was that though huh not like they didn't bother with their own like crappy coffee shop like so many places do and they just there's like these doors that open into this like this bright light that is starbucks yeah that was a yeah it was a it was a good it was a good setup and I liked the bookstore. Um, the owner a little bit quirky, but uh, seemed like a really cool, passionate guy, passionate about books. Yeah, so it was laid out. They had a bunch of chairs set up, and a there's a podium where Chris Moore spent about an hour just kind of talking about you know really just random stuff and answering questions about the book and about his writing in general. And then after that, he cut over to a table where uh, we lined up and got our books signed in. After making a really inappropriate joke. Yeah, I don't know if we were going to mention exactly what it was. Well, why not? That's what it, it's, it's not like it was a secret. There were a few hundred people there. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, and anybody who's read Chris Moore knows that he gets a little bit. He walks a line a little bit with. Uh, uh, I mean, he's not like obviously he's not any kind of bigot or prejudiced person, but he does add a kind of a risky flavor to some of his writing. And uh, when he was. And that's all we're going to say about <laughs> Um, do you want to say what he actually said? No, 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 because I don't want people protesting this show. We can't afford to lose any more listeners. That's true. But anyway, you had to be there. Uh, if you weren't there, you missed out on Chris Moore doing something that was like at this. It was like it was it's hard to explain. Like it was funny, not for what he said, but just by how like grossly inappropriate and offensive it could have been. And uh, Livius didn't even catch it at first. I had to guide him in the right direction to figure out what it's he was only, talking about. Only because I wasn't paying attention. That's well. <laughs> any thoughts about uh, when he was up there talking and taking uh, questions and stuff? Yeah, it, I actually yes. Um, he was very very good at, at shooting from the cuff. So with authors, you know, you read great stuff, but you don't know how much of that you know 
they may have sat there and poured over this, you know, great or funny paragraph for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes or an hour or days that they thought about something. But, um, you know, when you meet them in person is when you see what their real you know, reaction time is. And more was uh, more was spot on, just like his books, man. There was nothing you could throw at him that he couldn't spin into something, you know, fairly amusing um, pretty quickly. So For I was sure. very impressed by that. For sure. But you could tell like <laughs> you could tell this dude's out there a lot because um when we actually did our review for Sacre Blue, um, I, I gave an anecdote about an email he sent me where he was talking about um, going to art museums and um, looking at the paintings. And after a while, everything seems like art. And almost word for word, he gave that in, in the in the when he was when he was up there speaking. And I thought to myself, I wasn't like I didn't feel like that you know email he sent me was any less special. But I could just tell like this is something that the dude has to explain hundreds of times over and over again to, to, you know, to people all the time. And so it's just so practiced, you know? Well, see on the flip side, I kept expecting him to look over at you and wink. Cause I knew about the email. <laughs> and I'm like, look at you and give you like the head nod. Like, yeah, see, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> see Rob. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Livius is right too. I mean, like the thing I liked about him and, um, it's kind of what I like about his, his, uh, him in general is how open he was and, and social he was uh, at, even before the event started. He had kind of come out from the back and was just walking around the crowd talking to people and, you know, just chatting them up and everything for about 20 minutes before he started speaking. And he did a thing where he pulled the audience to see who had come from the longest distance and he gave away some stuff to the, to the people. That, did you know what he gave away i didn't really i couldn't tell lamb audio books ah, for okay. the trip back to wherever said folks were from which is pretty awesome if you ask me it was very cool i wonder i don't know who read lamb i wonder if he read it i'll have to look that up hmm yeah so yeah it was pretty fun it was about what i expected um and i was pretty happy with the questions people asked obviously i don't remember any of them now but there were stuff that was like you know did how, how do you feel about you know making recurring characters and are you going to do this character in a book again and stuff like that and it was all stuff that like you know i cared to re listen to not like hey what was your inspiration for this scene in this book and all bs crap yeah the questions were actually were were pretty decent too because you never know when you get into a room with a whole bunch of people it's like people coming on the show you never know how bad the questions are going to get yeah because anytime there's an open forum where you can talk in front of people there's those assholes who just have an agenda and they need to have as many people hear what they think is possible. Luckily, we weren't subjected to that. Uh, in, in the, oh, I uh, thought you were talking about us, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But, um, and I was that guy that uh, not only did I not buy his book at the store, <laughs> but I brought, like, I think four total books for him to sign and he was very graciously signed them. And we got a nice picture with him and everything. We did. It was a lot of fun. A nice blurry picture on my iPhone. Well, that's because the uh, yeah, shaky guy, shaky's Mister Shaky behind us took the picture. Mister, yeah. Mister, <laughs> what what is this that you want me to take a picture? This isn't a camera. No, it's an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I hand him an iPhone. Which <laughs> I don't know. There's the statistic that's floating around out there that the iPhone um, is the most commonly used device uh, when you're looking at pictures that were taken and stored on Flickr. Like, it's the most commonly used camera for pictures that were, you know, posted on Flickr. And I hand the guy the phone, and he's like, can you show me how to use it? <laughs> and I just yeah. paused. I was like, uh, yeah, I, I guess Well, I, I mean, can. it's okay, because he was, what, 85, maybe? No, he was, like, in his 30s. He was, like, yeah. He was probably younger six than years older than me at the at the most. Yeah. So, so yeah, younger and than you. So, Chris Moore signing was fun. We'll have to uh, make our way out to another uh, signing see how the next one goes so we'll grade them all against the christopher moore signing how's that sound absolutely i will say that um the <laughs> i don't really look for them and i don't really like crowds and lines so typically it's not my thing but one signing that i'm really sad that i missed and this was going way way back was uh douglas adams was doing a signing for when his book mostly harmless just came out and uh, a bunch of my friends went to that and got you know first editions of that signed and got to meet him and everything and i didn't go and you know five or six years after that or however long after that he died so i never got a chance to meet him that's kind of a bummer because i've always been a big fan of him that is very unfortunate i like to end on a sad note <laughs> yeah I'm, i don't want to go on and talk tonight about the next part but with yeah. that, 
what that means is I don't want to miss out on meeting an author because you never know. Like it could know, cause them to die. I, it might kill them. <laughs> exactly. He was so sad that he didn't get to meet me that it eventually killed him. <laughs> the depression takes a while to set in when it grabs hold, man. It's tough. Yep. All right. Moving like on. To... <laughs> All right. All right. Chris Moore. <laughs> Let's move on to an even weirder subject. All right. Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, I was avoiding thinking about this or even knowing what it was for a long time. Um, but there's a reason Livius and I decided to talk about it tonight. And um, it's because of its its weird origin that I didn't even know about. So we, we I think we need to talk a little bit about that. First off, for anybody who's not really familiar with Fifty Shades of Grey, it and its um, subsequent two sequels have swept the... Uh, the uh, <laughs> I don't want to say the book world because that's not quite right. Um, it has swept the uh, the bestseller lists um, as of a couple of days ago. Uh, it was the New York Times has an ebook bestseller list. It was numbers one, two, and three, and this thing just kind of blew up from out of nowhere and is absolutely huge, um, specifically amongst the uh, the female reading community. Yeah, and yeah, more specifically, like soccer moms, I think is probably who's who's devouring these books. All right, so here's the story, and it's, I mean, I went to Wikipedia to, to figure this out. Um, essentially, the story for Fifty Shades of Grey um, was originally, uh, <laughs> this is so terrible, too. I mean, the the changes that have been made. So Fifty Shades of Grey is by E.L. James, and the the story that it's, that, you know, it can't, it was, it was adapted from was fan fiction entitled Master of the Universe written under the pen name Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Masters of the Universe became Fifty Shades of Grey. And, um, yeah, it was fan fiction for uh, uh, the characters Edward Cullen and uh, Bella. Oh, she has a last name, Swan, Bella Swan. Swan, Bella Swan. I don't have to look at notes, sorry. I was <laughs> pull that from memory. From the Twilight books, yeah. Which is really weird because I hadn't heard that until you mentioned it to me, but I did happen across an interview with uh, E.L. James on 2020 just a few days ago. And um, it's odd because when you said that, you know, there's the 2020 people are describing the book and the mania behind it. It's about this... Uh, this billionaire, um, older billionaire guy who falls in love with a younger woman and, you know, just spends and, you know, money on her and wants to take care of her. And they said wants to protect her probably about six times during the core of this 15 minute or 10 minute snippet that included an interview with the author. And then when you said Twilight, I thought, oh, yeah, that's definitely Edward and Bella. I can totally see where that was adapted from that story. He's rich and he wants to protect her and he wants to take care of her. Um, the twist, apparently, in Fifty Shades of Grey is that uh, amongst wanting to do those things, she's very virginal, the, the main character. But uh, apparently this guy's into some uh, some BDSM, which um, I don't remember what 2020's definition for BDSM was, but they had multiple letters for each, for, for multiple <laughs> words for each letter. So they were like bondage, discipline, then they had another D word, and then they got into something, sadism, and then, I don't know, it was just, it was really weird, because the BDSM turned into, like, an eight-word phrase for them. It was very <laughs> weird. Well, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, I, I here, and I, I, I was talking to someone at work the other day, and they said they, he, he, like, conspiratorially whispered to me, and he told me he was reading Fifty Shades of Grey, and I was like, all right. And he said, yeah, it's really, you know, kinky and BDSM. And I was like, okay. And then he said, yeah, he makes her sign a contract so that he can control her entire life. And I was like, okay, this is actually interesting now. Like, I, I, I didn't know that's where it was going. But, like, uh, it made me think of the movie Secretary. Which was just a great movie. Are we going to spend time talking about our boy again? I, I, I can't re resist. I just Go love ahead. him so much. Go ahead. Anybody who hasn't seen the movie Secretary, um, it, it's such a weird movie, but James Spader and uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal are kind of the main characters, and Maggie's a cutter uh, who, I, I, at the beginning, didn't she just get out of some someplace, like a mental place? She, she had just kicked her cutting habit or was in the process of 
Yeah, and so she gets a job as a secretary for James Spader, who's like this crazy domination guy. And um, it's weird because it's a very loving tale of him trying to keep her from hurting herself by like I I don't even know how to properly explain by it. By like spanking the, her. By spanking, yeah, he like, like he like gives her enough of what she needs to keep her from hurting herself. Yeah, pretty much. So he channels her, you know, her whatever affliction into um this relationship where he dominates her and and um kind of controls her a lot and it turns into a loving really it's just such a cool cool weird movie absolutely yeah i've i've described this to people as a a romantic movie for men yeah yeah like it's totally not your reese witherspoon (laughs) julia roberts movie but you know i think that it's a movie that women can appreciate but that men can appreciate the like emotion and the feelings and the sacrifices made in that movie too yeah and he draws a circle around a worm in red in red marker oh now you blew the whole movie for everybody damn it i know i'm sorry but anyway, this whole like uh, the contract where they control the life and all the the BDSM and stuff made me think immediately of Secretary. If Secretary had was based on a stupid vampire movie, and that's me being judgmental. Oh, it's okay. <clears throat> oh, I said okay. movie though, not book. So that's true. That's very true. Um, <clears throat> the funny thing about E.L. James and watching her is you could just tell she was kind of uncomfortable talking about her own book. And she was just blushing a lot, and she seems very, very, very down to earth. And it just seems like a genuinely nice lady who really just lucked into a big pile of money. Um, so we can laugh about her book, but she's laughing all the way to the bank. Well, this is actually, this touches on, and this actually, I really enjoy the fact that this happened this way. Um, because fanfic has always been like my joke. <laughs> like if I, you know, if I'm trying to talk about something as, as non-legitimate as possible, I, you know, I'll say something about fanfic, but fan fiction was where this story that is a huge success was born. And so it, to some degree, at least it legitimizes writers of fan fiction as having an avenue to becoming, you know, New York, you know, best-selling authors and stuff like that. It's going to be interesting to see how far this uh, this craze goes. But before we move on from this subject, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a little something we haven't done in a while. I'm going to do a read this, not that for Ooh. E.L. James. Um, years and years ago when uh, I had a job where basically I read like four books a week because I could sit at work and read all day. And that's all I could do because I couldn't have a TV and this was pre-smartphone and everything else. So I stumbled uh, onto this book at the library uh, called Topping from Below. Uh, it's uh, authored by Laura Reese. Um, just a fantastic novel that's uh, kind of a mystery, um, but has a lot to do with with a woman's journey into the kind of world of BDSM as she's searching for her sister's killer. It's a fantastic read. Um, you know, thinking back now, if we were reviewing it for the show today, I could easily say it's a five star book. Um, so I did pop on and uh, onto Amazon. It is available for Kindle at six ninety nine. I would definitely say that that's a worthy price to pay for it. So uh, it's a little on the girly side, but I mean it's written really, really well um, and, and kind of explores some of the things that uh, some of the sacrifices someone's willing to make, you know, to to bring a killer to uh, accountability. There you go. There so, it is. There you, if the light BDSM in, <laughs> in Fifty Shades of Grey wasn't enough for you, grab a copy of Topping from Below. I'm sure that'll uh, that'll get you going. All right. What do we got up next? All right. So regardless of which way you like to take your BDSM, if it's uh, via Kindle or um, or in traditional paper form, um, it seems that more Kindle owners are reading paper books still than you would think. Yeah. Uh, loyal listener, um, rabid listener, I, I would probably say. And uh, podcaster in his own right, Dan Hines of the Fat Nate Podcast, shared an article with us recently that uh, was talking about a study that was done recently that said that um, 86% of e-reader owners still read books in print. And um, it gives some interesting data that just surprised me because, if I mean, if you if you polled Livius and I, <laughs> I'd say that, um, you know, I'd say of of 50 books I read, 48 probably are you know, on the Kindle. So I guess we would fall into that 86%, but at the same time, you know, that's a steep drop off from what it used to be. So I, it's just confusing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, 
we're kind of probably in a slightly different situation than most of the people there are. I mean, I recently bitched on the show that we had to read like three paper books in a row. So if it was up to me, I'd never read paper again. The only way that would ever happen is if uh, it was something that wasn't available in uh, in e-format. And at this point, you know, there's some books I'd like to reread that I own. And I've honestly considered buying the digital format to read them in. Mm-hmm. So the more interesting numbers, so the 86% of e-reader owners still reading books in print, I mean, that can be explained away in a, in, a, in a ton of different ways. Like, you know, if they have a library card, you know, they're probably pretty likely to check out a book if it's convenient for them. But the number that I thought was interesting was um, 54% said they still read books in print most of the time or always. <laughs> so I own an e-reader, but I never <laughs> use it. Um, there's a couple things there. I mean, without looking at all of the data, you know, what are they considering an e-reader? So are they considering people who own an iPad as owning a, an e-reader? Yes, probably. You know, so those people maybe only use their iPad for surfing the net or watching YouTube videos or Facebook or, or whatever. But the other thing that I found too, and as I mentioned before on the show, I have reason to talk to people who are interested in e-readers quite a bit. You know, most people are very concerned with, you know, how many books they can get for free and what they can get from their library. And what I think happens to a lot of people is they think that, you know, that they can go to their online library or whatever. And it's just like walking into the library down the street that the bestsellers will be there on the shelves. And that's just not the case with e-readers. So I think a lot of them buy, find that, you know, there's a ton of stuff available to borrow from the library or free. But it's not, you know, James Patterson and E.L. James. It's, you know stuff they've never heard of or it's considerably older stuff that, that that's available and not what they would normally read. So I think at that point, they may just hop in their car, go to the library and, and get the newest, you know, Daniel Steele book or whatever. Well, there's that. And there's um, probably a very large trend right now of, of people buying e-readers as gifts for people who they know like to read. Um, so a lot of e-reader, e- e-reader owners may not even have started using e-readers that they've been given as gifts. I know um, <clears throat> over the holidays, we gave my grandmother a Kindle, um, and that's mostly because she doesn't really get out of the house very much, so we thought it would be a nice, convenient way for her to continue reading, and um, she just devours books, but there was that was a gamble, you know, like, there was a good chance that she wasn't even going to like the idea of reading it, you know, on a Kindle, so I have to imagine that some people are just giving them, and they just never touch them. Um, <clears throat> I, uh... I'm going to call shenanigans on this whole article. First of all, I was going to kick it off by saying, you know what, that it's 86% and these people are all in California. So there's a lot of things I can't explain about Californians. But yeah, I just skipped like down past the cut on the page. And and I read that um, Californians also dedicate a significant amount of their leisure time to books with two out of three adults saying they read for pleasure at least three hours a week. I find that incredibly hard to believe. Because outside of, you know, the few people in, in my immediate circle, including Rob, and obviously we do a book review show, and then I'm not going to mention any of my, you know, more recent friends we've made because of the show, I could count on one hand the number of people that have read a book in the last three years that I know personally. Okay, but that does say read for pleasure. It doesn't necessarily say books because we all know that on Kindles you can get blog subscriptions, New York Times, well, you know, things like that. And. I mean, you could be right, but the wording is dedicate a significant amount of their leisure time to books, comma, with two out of three saying they read for pleasure at least three hours a week. All right, that's fair. All so right. I would I took that to mean books. Yeah, I, you know, they read Facebook five or six hours a week, I guess, you know, but yeah. So I don't know. That number seems probably a little more inflated. I could be wrong, but I mean, you know, even listeners, if you take out the... The friends you have because you, you know, you write or the friends you've made because you have reading in common. I mean, how many of your like coworkers do you think read for three hours a week? Okay, but at the same time, all right, the poll was of fifteen hundred people who are e reader owners. So like I'd have to imagine uh-huh. that if you polled yeah. if you polled people that, you know, owned a skateboard they were more likely to have bought, you know <laughs> to have ridden a skateboard last yeah, week. To have like done an all right. Ollie. <laughs> all right. And and I guess yeah. I guess. I mean, it's just when you drop to bottom, it just says Californians also dedicate. It's not, it doesn't say yeah. e-reader owners. So that's, I don't know. I always find these kind of surveys and stuff very sketchy too. So I don't know. So I don't believe in science or statistics. <laughs> so the, the bottom line on this article is people may be reading more um, 
paper books. They may not, uh, but we don't like Dan anymore because he gave us a, a, a sketchy a article. article. Yeah. Come on, Dan, get it together. Dude, the last paragraph says, overall, 78% of Californians read at least a book a month. Really? 78%? That could be true. More than one in four read at least a book a week on average. Jesus Christ, 32% of well, women that's, in California. Well, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so maybe there's a huge deal in California about reading. But, I mean, seriously, like outside of me, how many people do you know that read a book a month? And, and I'm sure there's some. I'm sure you know three, four, five. Not but 78% of the people I know. Not, not, for me, it's probably like 15% of the people I talk to on a regular basis read a book a month. 32%. Now, see, okay, so 32% of women in California and 21% of men read four or more books a month. I can buy that, you know, probably on the outside. I'd still say that was a little high, but 78% read a book a month. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be, I mean, it really would have to, it would rely on, um, we'd have to find out how educated people are because, you know, educated people typically tend to read more. Okay. They elected Arnold Schwarzenegger as their governor. Yes, they did. Yeah, so there you go. Well, it was that or Gary Coleman or a porn star. I mean, if you want to look at it in perspective. Those weren't really the only options, were they? No, there were like 60 options, but those were like the most popular options. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was actually the election for, for governor when, when Schwarzenegger won. It was a runoff um, because I think they had – anyway, I think there was – I can't remember exactly the details, but – um. It was a runoff election because the governor was, you know, being removed or something weird like that. But anyway, yeah. it, the election night was the same night as, like, uh, I think baseball had a World Series or something. Like, the World Series, the final game of the World Series was going on. So while everybody was, like, you know, leaning toward their TVs in anticipation of finding out who won the World Series, I was refreshing, you know, poll data for the California governor's runoff election. <laughs> you were... You're refreshing the Predator website. Or, or, uh, the other Predator, not, not that one. Wow. <laughs> All right. I think we're, we're ready to throw this, uh, this article in the trash. All right. So after we've decided that, you know, 99 out of 100 Californians read at least two books a month based on that uh, poll, <laughs> some may be reading even more as they become more affordable. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of an update. We talked before about how the Department of Justice was uh, suing um, five major publishers and Apple for um, what they were basically they were basically accusing them of unnaturally inflating the price of, of ebooks. We've got a bit of an update on that. Three of the five publishers had already have already settled with the Department of Justice, um, which caused something very odd to happen that Amazon. Announced plans to push down the prices on ebooks. Yeah. So, um, HarperCollins, Hatchet, and Simon and Schuster folded um, righteously quickly because they didn't want to uh, pay for huge legal fees and everything like that, leaving Penguin, Macmillan, and Apple to uh, continue to, to fight against the Department of Justice in this lawsuit. Um, but yeah, the that whatever that's the details. But the interesting thing is what Livia said is. Amazon announced that they planned to, to, to start lowering ebook e prices. So they're definitely capitalizing on the fact that there's this whole um, struggle with ebook pricing right now. Yeah, the, the specifics in the article that, that we read said uh, some major titles could fall to $9.99 or less from $14.99. Um, Looking at you, is, Stephen King. Yeah, so I was going to say, if only they had done this months ago, we would have reviewed a Stephen <laughs> King book that was priced at sixteen ninety nine for for a ebook for a digital copy. Um, you know, I'm happy as a consumer to see the price of ebooks go down. Um, you know, but here's the as always, there's there's never good without bad. So people are already really upset. <laughs> so everyone was upset that Amazon that everyone had fixed pricing on ebooks. Now that Amazon says they're going to drop books because there won't be any more fixed pricing, apparently, is what they're indicating. Um, now people are upset because they think Amazon could now just own the entire book market. So instead of there being unnaturally, instead of publishers gathering together and deciding to charge unnaturally high prices, they're worried that Amazon's going to kill all the other publishers and 
charge too low a prices or just kill the competition. They're killing the they competition. Kill, they kill the competition, which yeah. then again <laughs> eventually would lead to it being just Kindles, and then they could then charge $4,000 an ebook. I don't know. Here's, here's the deal. I'm going to take the unpopular um, side of, of this debate. Fucking leave Amazon alone already. <laughs> okay? I understand. You know what? I like bookstores just as much as the next guy. They're really nice places to go and browse. Um, you know, it's, it's great. I used to enjoy shopping books. I don't anymore. Okay? I read on my e-reader. But regardless of how I feel about it, Amazon is a business that puts out a product, and apparently their product is far superior to everybody else's because they have the biggest portion of the market share. So let them do their business. You know, it was, oh, Amazon, you know, they've got this fixed book pricing and they're ripping everybody off. Oh, they don't have fixed book pricing. Now now there's a different problem. You know what? This is the future moving forward. And nobody was standing up for typewriter manufacturers 20 years ago when the word processor started coming out. We just moved with the future. This is this is the computer to the typewriter. This is the ebook to the printed book. Printed books will still exist for people who collect. Rob's just laughing his ass off. So, for God's sake, people, move on. Amazon is probably going to to be the only or the biggest, easily the biggest retailer of books. They, they, I'm sure they already are. It's just going to keep going forward that way. And and as much as I'd like to defend the little guy that owns the bookstore, the reality is the rest of the world has moved on. Here's my two cents on the whole thing. Um, and I could be entirely wrong. I'm not a business. Um, minded person by any stretch of the imagination obviously the thing i spend the most time doing is a free podcast um (laughs) but (laughs) so uh back at napster i'm going to talk about napster for a bit because napster destroyed the music industry uh for good or bad the music industry was all cds you know and then when mp3s came about um you know peer-to-peer sharing online really really destroyed the way that the music industry was set up at the time and um i have to imagine and i think i've probably said this before and it's not my it's not an original idea uh publishing companies are worried that you know ebooks were going to do something similar to them and like publishing companies if you think about it i mean there's few industries that have survived you know really long stretches of time um being as prosperous as as something like the publishing industry which, you know, they've always been monsters and they've always been around. Um, so all of a sudden, ebooks have the opportunity to just completely gut publishing as we know it, you know, and, and, and change drastically. So I'd have to imagine that publishers are a little worried about that. And if they did conspire to keep prices at a certain level, it was probably to avoid something along the lines of what happened in the music industry. That being said, maybe it wasn't the right re- uh, reaction. Um, Really, it's it all comes down to adaptation. Uh, regardless of what you know, people did. It's all about adapting to to what is happening now. And the ebook revolution is happening so much faster than I think anybody really anticipated it happening. Um, just by virtue of the fact that like everybody's got a, a an e reader now, an iPad probably contributed to that um, that craze a whole lot. So essentially, these companies just have to adapt a lot faster. And it's a sink or swim situation. It's totally, you know, like business, uh, you know, survival of the fittest. If your publishing mm-hmm. company isn't going to to adopt a strategy that lets them survive in this changing environment, they're going to go away, even if they are one of the big five or six or whatever. I mean, every company I've ever worked for, the the probably the inside dream was to put the competitor out of business. It's all Amazon's doing is doing the same thing. You know, the company I currently work for would like to see happen. The company you currently work for would like to see happen and and everybody else's. I mean, hell, if I could figure out a way to put all the other book review podcasts out of business, I'd do it. Without any hesitation? Without any hesitation at all. All right. We'd be the only game in town. So I support Amazon and their endeavors. I support, here's what I support. I support having um, uh, the logical way, avenue of, of receiving, you know, reading for the time and the technology to be prosperous. So whatever that turns out, I don't care if it's Amazon. I don't care if it's like, you know, 
um, small publishers somehow band together, whatever it is, as long as we get what's best for us, that's what I care about. Yeah. And I guess I shouldn't say that I I'm all for, I mean, I, I have nothing against Barnes and Noble. I have nothing against Smashwords. I have nothing against Sony's ebook store. Um, but yeah, it's going to be survival of the fittest and my money's on Amazon, but yeah, I'm, I'm okay with those people still being around. I don't want to see them put out of business, but you got to adapt. Yep. That's it. Especially in publishing. Like if there's ever something that you would think is a cutthroat environment, that's like the first thing you think of is publishing, right? Maybe yep. more newspaper than what, but anyway, like publishing is supposed to be like a, you know, it's where dreams go to be smashed. It's wonderful. I think that's what it says on the on the door at at, at McMillan, where where dreams go to be smashed. Welcome to um, New York City. I guess the part I don't get is of that they why they won't embrace this is I, I have to think that the actual publisher, okay, probably only nets six or seven dollars per hardcover book would be my guess. I mean, after shipping and then so what we pay in the in the Barnes and Noble of twenty bucks is is markup for Barnes and Noble. It's paying for transportation. It's paying for producing. By producing, I mean actually assembling a book and putting a cover on it and the labor involved and the time and the materials. So they're making six, seven bucks, right? Mm-hmm. If they just sold their ebooks and embraced it and sold them at nine ninety nine, wouldn't they in effect make the same amount of money? just skipping a million steps in between. And let's not even talk about paperback because those are eight bucks. So I have to imagine, again, that even drops down lower for them. Where are you buying paperbacks for $8? Or are you That's talking like I've mass market? At. Yeah, yeah, mass market Oh, paperbacks. I was thinking trade paperbacks. No, 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 mass market paperbacks. That's what I'm saying. So for that, maybe they make four or five bucks after whatever Walmart or Barnes gets their cut. And like I said, you know, putting them on a truck and paying someone to deliver them and putting them together. So can't they just make the same amount of money on an ebook and sell them all for eight or 10 bucks and, and eliminate all that crap in the middle? Yes. However, I have to imagine that something like, uh, that Stephen King book, uh, the price, and I'm not, this is in no way defending Stephen King's book because I think it's a bunch of bullshit, especially Stephen King. Um, but so much of that money has to go into the ridiculous amount of marketing that they, that they do around big names like that. And, um, I mean, King, let's face it, he probably pulls down a, a an okay-sized paycheck for books like that. I mean, he probably props up the fucking companies that he, that he you know, publishes under. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would agree. Because not only is, not only is he going to bring them in consistent amounts of money, but, like, he gives them the prestige of saying, well, we, we publish King, so you better bring it if you want to be on our roster, that kind of thing. I would just think they'd stand to just make more money from doing almost, well, not at this point, exclusively publishing when everybody owns a reader doing exclusively publishing. I don't know. Yeah, I always imagine that um, that eventually the whole like idea, the whole idea of publishing in print as opposed to on ebooks would be kind of a niche thing where like, you know, special editions of things came out in print or, you know, your your eight or so. Uh, big names or whatever. I don't know. I always imagined it kind of like slowly fading away as ebooks gain popularity, but uh, yeah. The other thing I don't get is what's to keep them from just opening their own store. You want the new Stephen King book. You go to Stephen King publishers website, you pay nine, ten ninety nine, and and download it from them and they make all the money on it. They could do that. I don't understand why they don't. And and like I said, change the way they look. I understand why bookstores are upset with this because they may go to the wayside and that's somebody's livelihood. So I, if I sounded unsympathetic before, it's not it. It's just the way things are going to go. I mean, it's not that I don't feel bad for those people, but those people, again, need to adapt. And by adapt, I mean get out of the paper book business. You just gave me, you just gave me the brilliant, the most brilliant idea. Here's what it is. We opened the booked store. <laughs> And just follow this is genius already. You don't even have to say anymore. I love it. <laughs> Book to store, and we <laughs> we we get all these authors to join us, and and we publish their books online um, for like the prices. You know, like you said, the nine ninety nine or whatever, and we just you know split it that way, and then we partner with like um, Caliber, the company that makes that like software where you can just convert a file to whatever type you need. Bam, we're done. We make a basic format book and uh, partner with Caliber so that people can buy it and then change it to the format they need to go on whatever reader they have. There you go. Why didn't, why didn't Smashwords think of it? 
<laughs> oh yeah, they, they did. Oh. Yeah, the problem with Smashwords is they didn't partner with any of the big publishers. Yeah. Or none of the big publishers want any part of Smashwords. It's probably more likely. Well, when you're as hugely successful as Booked, you don't have to. Yeah, I don't want people <laughs> to hate us like they hate Amazon. I'd be okay with that if I was... Uh, yeah, I would uh, too. I couldn't give a shit what people thought of me. So. <laughs> if I was sick, like like that guy that... Um, oh, what's his name? whatever.com the guy that he was uh he got arrested recently for oh the guy who who had rapid mega 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 yeah yeah upload or whatever yeah the guy who changed his last name to dot com yeah (laughs) if i had dot com money (laughs) i wouldn't care i'd walk around slapping people i would do whatever i wanted to i think i may have mentioned (laughs) this to you but i don't know if anybody else has heard this or, or i don't i'm assuming it's true i i also heard that he was the number one ranked number one ranked player in the world for modern warfare three uh yeah yeah which for people who don't know what that means you think like oh he was really good no what that means is that guy took his uh dot com money and probably played for like 18 hours a day and i respect that guy that guy was like (laughs) i've got all the money i need now i can just play video (laughs) games like 18 20 hours a day because you know that was always his goal yeah 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 exactly um yeah, so somewhere, I don't know, like, was he from Australia or something? I think he lived in Australia and New Zealand or something like that. And he just, like, mm-hmm. had these fleets of gigantic, like, well, not fleets of, like, he had a gigantic fleet of, like, really nice cars and just, like, boats and stuff. Dude was living high on the hog and playing video games. I'll say each one of them had to have a PlayStation 3 in them, I'm thinking. That's of course. the only way he can maintain that rank for more than, you know, a couple hours, so. Crazy. <laughs> I don't know Crazy. how we got onto that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Let's take off. I'm going to, I'm going to take off my angry face now and stop being mad about Amazon haters and whatever. Uh, we're going to talk about nice stuff. You want to talk about some nice stuff? Yeah. So we recently made friends with, a uh, Andre Bergen who wrote the, to, uh, tobacco stained mountain goat. We, uh, did a review of it on the show and everything. And he's got some interesting stuff coming up and, I wanted to mention it because we really liked Tobacco Sand Mountain Goat, and he's doing some cool stuff that ties in with that. Um, first of all, the one that I think is going to come out first is um, his next book, which is called 100 Years of Vicissitude, uh, which is being published by Perfect Edge Books. Hey, Rob, for, yeah. for our listeners who don't know, can you tell us what vicissitude means? I don't know. <laughs> I knew I, that's what I wanted you to say. Sorry. <laughs> Do you know I what don't. it is? No, no idea. I'm going to look it up right now. All right. While Libby's is looking at it, I'll kind of explain. Um, here's the plot of the book from the 100 Years of Vicissitude website. First up, a disclaimer. I suspect I am a dead man. I have meager proof, no framed up certification, nothing to toss in a court of law as evidence of a rapid departure from the mortal coil. I recall a gun was involved, pressed up against my skull, and a loud explosion followed. Thus begins our narrator in a purgatorial tour through 20th century Japanese history with a ghostly geisha who has seen it all as a guide and a corrupt millionaire as her reluctant companion thrown into the milieu are zeppelins, a-bombs, 1940s, Japan, 70s, Melbourne, a mystery, an eight headed dragon, red riding hood, King Arthur, comic books, and sake. Now that's interesting enough as it is, but at the bottom of the page, he says, this is 5% sequel slash prequel of Tobacco Stained Mountain Goat, but 95% something else entirely. So it is tied in. Interesting. Yeah. All right, here's the definition for vicissitude um, brought to you from dictionary.com, the place to go for all your definition needs. A change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant, or alternation between opposite or contrasting things. For example, the vicissitude of the seasons. I'll skip the uh, Urban Dictionary definition because I don't think that's the one he was going for. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's going to be coming out soon, and I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, I'm, I'm excited to see that coming. Um, the other thing, you want to talk about the other thing, Liv? Yeah, I want to talk about the cover of this book because it looks really pretty if this is the cover for, uh, for it. With the geisha? It looks like two geishas, I think, right? Or is that, yeah, that's two different geishas, I think. And, and like a blimp, and it's just a very pretty and colorful cover. And like a black bird of some kind, a swan or something. Yeah. A couple black birds. There might be a different one at the bottom, like an eagle. I don't know. It's pretty cool. 
Yep. All right. Yeah. So, so there you go. That's all I wanted to say is it's got a really pretty cover. All right. Um, and then speaking of sequels or prequels um, to Tobacco Stain Mountain Goat, there is an anthology of post-apocalyptic noir um, later out this year or early next year called Tobacco Stained Sky. This guy likes his tobacco stained stuff, huh? Yeah. So essentially, I think this is um, it's going to be a series that is inspired by um, or based in the 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 setting that was uh, set up for Tobacco Stain Mountain Goat. Um, so kind of like a like a tribute album kind of anthology to the Tobacco Stain Mountain Goat, which I think is pretty cool because I really like that book. Yeah, he had he had set up a, a a very interesting world and then only really focused on some kind of smaller elements or some very specific elements of it. So there's a lot there to be done and um, you know, instead of I don't know, spending his his entire writing career writing, you know, longer stories about it, there's uh there's probably something to be said for an anthology of collections to address some of those those uh things that he created. Yeah. And there's also something to be said to to, to having the forethought to actually just hand it off to other people to do. So he doesn't focus all his time on doing it even better. Yeah. He's smart as Amazon smart. He is <laughs> while he's doing that. He's, he's, he's ramping up his PlayStation three scores while he's got everyone else doing work for him. And speaking of weird, um, Andre Bergen, tobacco, same mountain goat stuff. I noticed the other day, um, he had just, uh, he, I, I saw something on Facebook and I followed it. And evidently, someone has set up a Facebook page for Wolram E. Deeps, which was the character in Tobacco Saint Mountain Goat, who is the CEO of the the evil CEO of the corporation that was like c- controlling everything. So there's actually a page for it. There's really not a lot going on there, but someone made a page for it. Very cool. Yeah, Andre Bergen. He's another uh, name that uh, I have put on the list specifically because of this show to uh, to read more of. Yeah, so that's that. That's our man, Andre Bergen, with what's going on with him. Okay, and another thing that we've talked about before on the show, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, the website Thunderdome, uh, we've talked about before. We kind of gave it a shout-out early on, and then we've had a little interaction with them later as well when we did the review for um, Los Angeles in a Thousand Words, um, which was edited by Thunderdome runner uh, Michael Paul Gonzalez. We reviewed the book, we had him on, and he talked talked with us for a little bit. And on Thunderdome, uh, since that time, there's been some follow-up stories that tie into some of the stories that were in um, the Los Angeles and a Thousand Words book. So I figured we'd mention those in case anybody had read that and wanted to, uh, to see a little bit more. So we've got, uh, right now, I just want to mention a few that, that we've seen. Uh, Doc O'Donnell who wrote his uh, story, Old Glory. There's a follow-up called The Fall, The Truth About the Mortal Dangers of Old Glory. Uh, Craig Walwork, who we really liked his story. I think that was one of, it was either one of my top three or one of Livius's, uh, wrote Soiled Dove, which I believe is a prequel to the story that we we read in Los Angeles in a Thousand Words. And then there's a couple more. Nikki Gerlain, who, uh, she had that really freaky story. I know we talked about it, the really freaky story with Marilyn Monroe. And, uh, uh, something called Bitchin' Bands and Bloody Hippies, and then Jay Slayton Jocelyn, which I don't know if we touched on in the episode, but uh, he did this interesting story about the differences between London and and Los Angeles, and he has a follow-up on Thunderdome that you can find, and it's called The Reality of California Versus the Fantasy of London. All right, so even if you didn't read LA1K, first off, just just get it it's available digitally now too so you don't have to you don't have to get a paper book if you're one of the 14 percent of people who exclusively read um, (laughs) on your e-reader um but you know even if you didn't read these i've read a couple of them and there's no need for you to have had read the other ones because they stand alone and i gotta tell you bitchin vans and bloody hippies was uh was fantastic it was uh it was almost almost just nearly as good as her story in la1k like a 1% lower for Bitch and Vans and Bloody Hippies. And you know how much I liked her story in LA1K. Yeah. So go read some Nikki Gerlane. And Thunderdome recently had kind of a facelift. Um, so the feel of it is kind of like a, like you'd see at a newspaper or something. It's just got all these different kind of sections with different things going on and headings and stuff. So there's a lot of ways to reach their, their different types of stuff. They have fiction and, like we said before, photography and... And stuff like that. So a little bit of a, a facelift on the website. 
and it looks really good. So feel free to check it out. We It's been a while since we've mentioned websites where you can go and get some free short fiction. So it's something I've, I felt bad about, and I wanted to kind of get that back into people's minds that you don't have to go out and buy a book to read some good fiction. It's very pretty, their new website. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like that background. Anyway. It looks like a speaker, like a, you know, the mesh that goes over a speaker. It a metal, does. Metal now that kinda. you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. While <laughs> we're on the subject of websites, um, there's a website I'm very excited about that's uh, at this point only nine days away from opening on May 1st. Amanda Gowan will open um, to the world the uh, it's Curiouser and Curiouser is the, uh, the the kind of overall name for it. You'll be able to find that at curiousinterviews.wordpress.com. And uh, I'm just going to read the, the little intro that, that she wrote for this. I think this is going to explain it better than, than I could. So, welcome to Curiouser and Curiouser. Oh, you write, do you? Lovely. Would it be all right if I asked you? No, no, not about writing. Don't be ridiculous. I have Google. You see, I was really wondering a bit more about your socks and your dog and your tattoos. Have you seen Fido perchance? Ever had your heart broken? Do you like to open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? What did, where did you work in high school? Wait, don't go. I swear I'll stop at 10 questions. So please put up your feet and let me get my pen. I just want to know a little more about you and you and you and you. So, um, yeah, that starts. That opens May 1st. Um, she's already got lineups on the website. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and read the lineups for, uh, for booked alum here, book alumni. Uh, list. <laughs> the May interview lineup um, was is going to kick off May 1st with Stephen Graham Jones. It's going to go on to Craig Walwork, Michael Gonzalez, Pela Villa, and Edward J. Rathke. It's also a June interview lineup, but I'm not going to give that to anybody. You guys go find that yourself. So uh, hit up curiousinterviews.wordpress.com or better yet, go to Facebook, search for Curiouser and Curious and click the like button and you'll get notifications when those are up yeah and <laughs> with the interaction that we've had with amanda it is no surprise that these are the types of interviews that she not only is doing but like set out to do like uh, she had this idea and she was so excited about it and i mean it's an interesting thought because like <clears throat> especially with uh going to the chris moore thing he has a whole faq of things just not to ask him and and i have to imagine that People just get asked the same stuff over and over again. So this is a refreshing. Does it say on, does it say on there not to ask him about Amanda Gowan? <laughs> Don't ask me about my restraining order. Um, yeah, so a refreshing approach to talking to authors about, you know, other things about them that might be interesting. May not be interesting. It's funny that you say that, that she set out to do this because, you know, you're right. I could see her doing like a really straight interview and it just ending up being a curiouser <laughs> and curiouser interview. So, Well, I mean, just from the interview that she did with us where, I mean, we didn't even lead her, but she ended up talking about llamas having sex. Yeah. yeah she so. went there on her own. Yeah. We just let her. There you go. So at any rate, definitely check it out. I'm looking forward to it because every time she posts anything, it's um, she, she has two types of posts. There's either story posts somewhere that are just fantastic or just really, really funny Facebook posts. So mm-hmm. funny in that not always really sure she's trying to be funny, but it's always very kind of clever and cute. So that's right. You, you know what else starts on May 1st? Um, no, I don't. And this just struck me right now. All right, so uh, recently uh, we've been talking with Todd Brown over at May-December Publications, and we've kind of struck upon an interesting uh, promotion that we're going to be doing uh, in cooperation with May-December Publications. Well, really, they're doing the promotion, and and we're we're just kind of along for the ride. Uh, so essentially, you got something? Um, I was just, <laughs> damn it. Yes, kind of. I just realized that it starts in May and it ends in December. Yeah, that's the thing that I was going to sheepishly admit <laughs> eventually. Uh, yeah, so we have a <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So we have a contest that starts in May uh, with May December publications and goes through the middle of December. And it took me actually thinking about the start date to realize yes that it is a May to December uh, promotion. And um, so, obviously, the first thing you want to know is, what's the prize? The prize is, are you guys ready for this? A free book each month from the entire 2013 calendar year release list of May-December publications. 
that's pretty badass. If you do the math, and I think this is right, that's 12 books for free. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to get my calculator. 12 books for free. <laughs> um, so what do you have to do to get these free books? It's actually really, really easy. Um, so essentially what you have to do is um, you just have to post reviews on Amazon for other May, May December publication titles. Um, so you read a book of theirs, post an Amazon review. doesn't have to be good. You can completely trash it. Um, and then once you post that review, you go back and you comment on the review mentioning that you heard about them through Booked somehow. So Booked loves books or, you know, uh, Booked made me do this or whatever you want to write so that um, if they if they see this review, they'll know that this is you coming to them through Booked and that'll count towards uh, an entry in the contest. There's no limit. The only limit is, you you know, the number of books in the May-December publication library right now, which I think is up to close to 30 or something like that. I believe 30 is the magic number. Yeah. So between May 1st, which is right around the corner, and December 15th, uh, you can enter as many times as May-December has books just by doing reviews on Amazon for books that you've read of theirs. Yep. And, uh, man, that's, that's uh, what did we decide? It was 11 books in 2013? No, no, no. Uh, you carry the one. 12. 12 books. 12, 12 free books. <laughs> Dude, how cool would it be to get 12 free books? I mean, that's that's just that's awesome. So yeah. it's, thank you to Todd Brown for uh, for helping us, uh, you know, with this promotion or letting us help you him with the promotion, however you want to look at it. And uh, as a listener, you know what? If you post a review, why don't you shoot an email? And we'll mention that you reviewed it on the show. And if it's amusing enough. Maybe we'll read it on the air. Yeah. Remember that one time we did the uh, <laughs> we read those James Patterson reviews? Yes. And it was hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So that's what you should aspire to. To reading other people's reviews? No, no, the, the, the listeners who are going to post reviews. They should aspire to Oh, there funny. you go. Gotcha. Okay. I thought maybe you wanted me to like do a reading where I just read other people's <laughs> reviews like at a coffee shop at an open mic somewhere, which could be pretty entertaining. Yeah, it could. So, so at any rate, so yeah, start now. Um, if you need, okay, so if you need a little push in the right direction, if you haven't already, um, go ahead and start with uh, Midnight Movie Creature Feature. That's right. We've reviewed it. And we we really dug it. Uh, it's a it's a it's a good bet for a good start to to getting into the May December catalog. And um, yeah, get out there, do some reviews, and uh, get yourself some free books. We'll post up some information on the website in case you were so astounded at the beginning when you said we get twelve free books that you forgot everything else or you didn't hear it. Um, we'll post up all the information at the website too, so you can check it out there. Yeah, we'll give you a periodic reminder, too, that this is going on. I'm still blown away that it starts in May and ends in December. Only from May-December publications would you get something so clever. And I do have to say, Todd Brown has, has been very generous um, with giving books to people for different promotions and stuff like that. So um, it was a no-brainer. <clears throat> it was a no... <laughs> I'm so touched that my, my voice is cracking. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's a no-brainer to, to partner up with him with this because, you know, we like people to read, so we want to get them free stuff out there too. Very cool. All right, and if you've been listening this whole time and you think, man, I can't read, I can't actually make <laughs> letters make sense, we've even got something for you. Um, the 28th, <laughs> days away, you can go to Noir at the Bar in St. Louis and have other people just read to you. <laughs> That's right. Much like... I can't get over the can't read thing. Um, that is our target audience, by the way, the illiterate. I don't want to exclude anybody. <laughs> That's fair. It's like this is like the handicapped parking portion of the show. <laughs> David James Keaton's going down to Noir at the bar. What kind of event is that going to be? That's going to be fantastic. Um, it is. And um, it's at the Meshuggah Cafe again, I believe, correct? It must be. Yeah. And you know what I always say about the Mashuga Cafe? Uh, best coffee in the known universe. See, I have to have Rob to say it because he put a moratorium on me promoting the coffee at the Mashuga Cafe. So if I can get him to say it, I don't have to. That's right. It's Romanian werewolf coffee. That's right. Romanian werewolf parallel bar coffee. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, so if you happen to make it there, um, you know, you've heard uh, David James Keaton on the show multiple times. Um, but, yeah, definitely uh, give a shout out to uh, Jed Ayers and Scott Phillips while you're down there and tell them the book guys say hello. Head over to Subterranean Books. If, you, if you've if you listened to a bunch of our episodes 
and you're like, man, where can I get those books? I guarantee you almost all of them are at subterranean books. Somehow it's like a psychic link. They just like, if we mention it, they put it on their shelves. So it's a, it's a pretty cool place. Yeah, and don't mention to the proprietor any of that earlier portion of anything I said about Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> All right. So there's that. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, Spine Tingler Awards are still going uh, for another week, I think. It'll be till the end of the week. It's the end of April, I think, is when the cutoff is. So we've got a bunch of friends over there. We've told you who you need to vote for. Uh, hit up our, our homepage, and there's a link to go over and vote on the Spine Tinglers. So um, go over there and help our friends win, because if they don't, they're going to want to come on the show and complain about it. I uh, refuse to discuss the Spine Tingler Awards at all, because the uh, we weren't nominated for that Raymond E. Newman um, Neighborhood Award or whatever it was. So yeah, the best community. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. So anyway... Uh, we still want our friends to win, though. So even though Livius is uh, is being stubborn, head over there and do some voting. All right, but um, in all this time with me being better about Amazon and spine tingler awards, and everything else, I have sequestered myself. And you know, normally for the show, for regular listeners, you guys know we read like a book a week, right? So this week that we're not reading books, I just went ahead and decided to read two. So I'm just going to mention them really quickly because <laughs> I'd like to recommend them to people, even though they're not going to be official uh, you know, show reviews. We're not going to spend 40 minutes talking about these. But um, uh, this one's a no-brainer. If you've listened to the show before, Anthony Neal Smith's All the Young Warriors, um, right on par with all the rest of his stuff. So just a fantastic story. Um, it's his first book that takes uh, takes leave of the United States. So you get some pretty cool uh, you know, cross-cultural stuff in there, too. So I... Uh, Read that on our little break, and um, Seth Graham Smith's new book, um, if the name sounds familiar, it's because you're probably going to go see um, Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter in uh, June when it comes out, uh, and that's uh, based on his book. He also did the you know, the, the adaptation and stuff. He also wrote, uh, <laughs> all right, so here's the deal. He wrote Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, which I tried. I got about 30 pages in, and I believe I called it unreadable garbage and stuff. <laughs> The premise for Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was so fantastic that I said, I'm giving this guy another chance, and I absolutely loved that book. So here he is on the fence. One great book, one book that was just so horribly sucky that I couldn't even get to page 35. So his newest book came out uh, a week and a half ago or so called uh, Unholy Night. And uh, I got to tell you, it was, uh, it was a pretty goddamn good book. So it swayed me. I am now officially a Seth Graham Smith fan. Wow, so you're sixty six thirty three in favor of him as an author. I am, and I got to tell you, so Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. He took a fiction story and you know adapted it for zombies. With uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, he took a lot of significant historical points in Abraham Lincoln's life and kind of mixed them in with vampires. So kind of historical fiction. This time, he took the Bible and mixed it in with more fiction. So it's more along the lines of just in zombies than it is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Well Hunter. stated. But very, very good. And uh, and, and oddly touching in parts. Anyway, so it, it follows uh, this guy named Balthazar who um, unwittingly, he's a thief and, uh, and a murderer, but he unwittingly becomes one of the three wise men that are present at the birth of Jesus. And it's, uh, it's a little bit about his life, but covers a, a period of a few weeks, you know, the current timeline of the book is the few weeks um before and after the birth of of uh, jesus and uh and that guy flashed back on the rest of his life but really really good stuff touching interesting um i really liked it if i had to rate it for the show it'd probably be easy four stars a, a rating that we rarely see from livius on this show that's about the only rating i give anymore <laughs> it's uh, either it's either a one star or it's four or five I, man, the other know, numbers I, just I, don't I, exist like I said, I went into this really lukewarm because I was like, man, you know, first book I tried to read from my nose, a New York Times bestseller, it sucked bad. It was unreadable in my opinion. And then, you know, I, I read some garbage. So when I say it's unreadable, man, that's that's like David Foster Wallace quality. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. Can we jump back to Smith for a second? Sure. Did you see what he tweeted about uh, lunchtime today? I refuse to be excited about that until it's in my hands. <laughs> wow. Uh, for anybody who isn't living in mine or Livius's mind right now, um, and earlier this afternoon, 
uh, Anthony Neil Smith on Twitter said, Ladies and gentlemen, the shitty first draft of The Baddest Ass, which is the third Billy Lafitte novel, uh, is done, and now the real work begins. Yep, so he is editing the crap out of uh, the third Lafitte book. Um, there's very little in the literary world that I'm looking forward to more than a third Lafitte book. Mm-hmm. But he also, just right after that, posted a link to uh, Pank Magazine's crime issue where there's an excerpt from that uh, from that manuscript. So um, we'll we'll drop a link to that in the, the, the notes for the episode so that people can check out a little bit of... Uh, the excerpt from the baddest ass. Okay. I also, and, and just to hop back, because my uh, my sixty six thirty three just changed on Seth Graham Smith when I realized that he wrote Tim Burton's film Dark Shadows. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going now. I'm like sixty forty because he I, lost six percent. Yeah, dude. I gotta tell you, I uh, I never watched Dark Shadows. <laughs> You know, it was a little before my time, and I know you can get it on DVD or whatever, and I've just never taken the trouble, but I'm familiar with what it's about. And when I heard they were making a movie, I thought, oh, okay, this can be kind of cool. And then I saw that piece of shit trailer, mm-hmm. and I was really upset. I can't even imagine how actual Dark Shadows fans feel, but um, it was enough to kill the star of Dark Shadows. He died earlier this week. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was directly related to this, this Tim Burton piece of crap that uh, Seth Graham Smith adapted. He died just so he could go roll over in his grave. That could be it. But uh, <laughs> so, at any rate, that's uh, unfortunate. So there you go, Mr. Smith, um, the second Mr. Smith I mentioned. That's all I, I forgot to mention. It was Smith Reading Week here at the yeah, Nettin right. household. So that's, yeah. That's all I read was books by guys named Smith. Would you like to tell the folks what's coming up next? Yeah. Um, our next episode is going to be a book review of uh, Craig Walwork's uh, recent release, Quintessence of Dust. We've talked about, we did an entire episode pretty much talking <laughs> talking about his story, Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters, and um, pretty much I've, I've talked, I think in the last episode, of, about how much I like him and his writing, so I'm looking forward to uh, getting to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I got a, I got a little start on it today, and uh, it's good stuff so far. I'm liking it. Yeah, so um, vote for Spine Tinglers. Go see David James Keaton read down in uh, St. Louis on the 28th and uh, come back to hear us talk a little bit more about Craig Wallwork next week. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.